Hey founders, this is the SaaS Boss Show, the podcast for SaaS founders in the growth stage who want to get unstuck, build high-performing teams, and get clarity about how to build a profitable startup. Every week, I interview SaaS consultants, coaches, and experts who work with dozens of startups just like yours and share their best strategies to overcome the daily challenges of growing a profitable SaaS. My name is Natalie Luniva, and I'm a growth and leadership coach to SaaS founders, and I'm also married to a SaaS founder, and I'm so pleased that you've joined us on this conversation. It is my pleasure to speak to Jess Osro about how growth stage companies design and implement strategies to build high-performing teams. Jess gets stuff done and has <laughs> the energy of four people. That's very exciting. Oh my goodness, how can you do all of it? Her goal is to create fundamental change in people operations. As head of learning and organizational development at uh, Quartet Health, Jess empowers organizational culture to be inclusive, diverse, and promote equity for all employees. As co-founder of The Rise Journey, she works with growth stage companies designing and implementing strategies to build cohesive teams while developing a sustainable organizational culture. That's absolutely awesome, especially the culture part. So many companies talk about culture and it's so hard to actually pinpoint what culture is, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, culture, the, the thing that founders forget and any organization forgets is that culture exists whether you create it or not. It's going to develop. It's always going to be there. So you have to take action to make it better and more inclusive and Ultimately, we're a bottom line society. If you want your business to do well, you have to be thinking about your culture. If you are not the one creating the culture for your company, then your employees will bring it from you know, your previous experience or from just what they feel like, right? So if you're not intentional about creating your culture for your company, then someone else will create it for you. And I think the keyword you hit on there is intentional. You have to be intentional. Not every organization has to have the same culture. Inclusivity and equity does not mean the same thing for different organizations, but there has to be purpose and there has to be an, an intention in how you're creating it and how you speak about it. Just because you say something externally does not mean it exists internally. Just because you do something internally does not mean it manifests externally. So having the intention to continually take action is always going to be the key. Jess, tell us, how did you get started coaching startup founders? How did I get started? So I have been in the HR and tech and learning and development space in New York City for the past nine years. Um, ultimately, I have limited filter and I'm very much a no BS kind of person and tell it like it is. When you look at data, when you look at uh, data points, when you look at, you know, you pull up a spreadsheet, you download some information, you do a survey, it only tells so much. The other piece is actually talking to people and allowing them to tell their stories, allowing them to be honest. And that's where I gained a lot of my insight is just being open with people and saying, I don't know, can you tell me what's going on? How, how is this happening underneath my nose and I have no idea? And being okay that I'm wrong. Um, I'm very good at what I do and I have a lot of um, very strong and usually correct opinions, but ultimately I have no stake in that. I have no humility if I'm wrong. Um, and that's been the key to my success and ultimately what led me to coach founders is that people open up to me and people share with me and I can help teach those skills and how to get in those frame, frame of mind and mindsets, which allow founders to then do that for their own organizations. I'm very much under the, the capacity or the, I think in a capacity of, you know, I don't want to do it for you. I want to teach you how to do it and then, you know, see how you do it, coach you and make you better and ultimately keep you evolving because 
I, as a coach, can't do everything, and nor do I want to, because that would be, I may have the energy of four people, but I don't want to do everything. It's so much better to see the values and the culture and things that you can teach perpetuate in other organizations and in other people. And so that's why I coach and ultimately people open up to me and that's why I can continue to coach and that symbiotic and sustainable coaching culture. What I found in founders, two things that you just mentioned. The first one is founders are so, it's so hard for them to say that I don't know something or I don't know how, I don't know how to do something because majority of founders that I've uh, come in, uh, in contact with are software engineers, they're developers themselves. Yeah. So it's so hard for them to say that I don't know something. So how do you get them to open up to say, I'm not sure how to do this? Yeah, so the key is the power of no is what I relate it back to. When when you're working, there's a huge amount of power when you say, you know what, I'm not able to get to that today, or we can't do that, or we can't put that in our pipeline. So using that same concept of the power of I don't know, it's, it's about being aware of your blind spots. You can be aware of something you don't know, or you can have a blind spot about a blind spot. And if you can go in and say, you know what, I know nothing about culture. You know, I, I just don't. Somebody's going to be like, wow, that person just came to me and automatically is asking for my thoughts by just saying they don't know, by coming into the room and saying, you know, this is, this is where I'm at, or this is what I do know, but there's probably a lot I don't know. And it's a lot with pride, and it's a lot of humility, and ultimately, if you know everything, you probably wouldn't be founding a company, you'd probably already be a gajillionaire, and you would have no need to do anything. You'd be living on your own private island, a la Richard Branson. Um, but talk about somebody who talks about who, that he doesn't know a lot. Um, I think if you look at great leaders of organizations, of countries, of, you know, your PTA, if you have kids, whatever, they're all going to be people who say, I don't know, in some form or another. It may not be those exact words, but ultimately, why do you learn? Why do you go to school? Why do you go to meetups? It's to learn something. And very few people are masters at anything, let alone multiple things. And you can still have strong instincts and ideas and still not know. It is funny. The second thing that you've mentioned is you cannot do everything. So I'm married to a SaaS founder. So I know so much about their mentality and their mentality is, yes, I can do everything myself. And if I cannot, then it, it's okay that if it takes me hours, days and weeks to figure things out, but I'm so used to doing things myself and I'd rather do it myself because someone else is going to do it at 80% while yeah. I will be the one doing it at 100%. <laughs> It's, it's really hard because as a founder, you, this is your baby. This is, this is this creature you've developed and brought into this world. But if, you need, if you're going to excel at the things you, you are a master at and that you do know everything about or the majority about, you have to hire people to do those other pieces. And it's really hard to let go. And that's where coaching comes in. That's where you say, every week I want you to identify a blind spot and I'm going to identify one of my blind spots and we can go about it together. You can run those paths in parallel with people. Um, but admitting and knowing and being aware of what you don't know, having that self-awareness is so important. And if you try to do everything, you're going to fail at everything. There's not one single person who can do everything successfully. And that's just the nature of life. You know, you're going to burn out and then your business goes nowhere. Exactly. If you find yourself saying, only I can do it the way that I want it to be done, then I think that's your ego talking. It's not really... People can do things, not maybe 100%, but 
but that's much better to for the things to be done you know this week or next week rather than to wait for you to do this in six months yeah and can you imagine a world where you say i know i can do all of this but instead i'm going to coach somebody on how to do it in a method that i feel is right and have them recognize a blind spot and have them bring something else to the table that might 10x what you were going to do You're like oh shit that person is not only going to do what I need them to do, but they're going to make it better and bigger and faster and more badass and everything. And then all of a sudden you're at a different level. So by, by saying, I'm going to teach somebody else and I'm going to enable somebody else's success, you're going to promote your own success. You know what? That's one of the fears that I see founders have. If they may feel like they are not needed in the company anymore, because if someone else does things better than they did before, that's kind of, you know, a little bit of ego Yes. Um, problem there. There is a great article by, um, I believe the author's name is Molly Graham, and she was early stage at Google. She was early stage at Facebook. And she, the general concept is called like giving away your Legos. And ultimately, you know, you have your little pile of Legos, you play with them, you build things. And then somebody says, oh, well, we're going to hire somebody to help you. You need to give away some of your responsibility, give away some of your Legos in order to do more. And you're scared. You're like, even if you hate your job, even if you hate pieces of it, you're like, those are my Legos. Like, I don't want to give those away. But what you don't realize is you have blinders on. And the second you look over here and you see this giant pile of new Legos, you're like, oh man, there's so many more possibilities than I ever thought of because I had these blinders on, because I had this blind spot over here. And the second and ongoing battle to be comfortable giving away your Legos, there's bigger things out there. There's better challenges to face. There's more people to train. There's more things to do. There's more money to make but you have to be okay with giving away that first set and that second set and then that thousandth set of Legos because that's how you get bigger. That's how you get better. That's how you gain more knowledge. But it's really hard and it is about ego more than anything else. So let's say that we got founders to think about, okay, I need to bring someone on. However, I find a lot of founders talk about how do I find a co-founder? They may not necessarily want to hire someone, but yeah. they're looking for a co-founder because either they don't have money or they think that a co-founder is going to be more uh, involved in this or like um, because they have kind of equity in this mm -hmm. instead of hiring someone like even this it's a contractor or like remotely um, or full-time. So what do you say to people like this? You have to start with the outcome. What is the outcome you're looking for? Is it to grow the business? Is it to have somebody who has equity and therefore is accountable? Is it somebody to just get a job done? Figuring out what the outcome is first and work your way backwards. Um, ultimately, whether you bring a new hire on, whether you bring a contractor, whether you bring a co-founder on, it's always going to come down to the values, the mission, vision, and values of an organization. So even if you're a solo founder right now, you need to decide in this first iteration, what is the mission of the company? What are the values of this organization? In that case, it might be my values. And where do I see it going? Because the second you go to look for a new hire or a co-founder or whomever, they're going to say, well, why should I join? What am, what, am, what am I doing? What's the point of this? You can say, well, this is our mission and this is our purpose and this is our values. And immediately somebody's going to say, well, I actually don't agree with that. And then you can say, great, that person's gone. You don't need to even further, you don't have to waste time getting to know them or these things. If your values don't align, or the values or the mission or the purpose of the organization, you know immediately that something isn't going to work. And once you find somebody who's like, oh man, yes, 
I'm there. I'm with you 100%. That's where you get people who work their heart and soul and their blood, sweat, and tears go into something. No matter if they're a contractor or a, your first employee or a co-founder, when they align with your mission and your values and your vision for an organization, that's the driver. That's what pushes people to do great things. It isn't money. Money's a great motivator, but it's not the motivator. Why not? I can get money anywhere. If I really needed to, I could work a job at McDonald's or I could do consulting or I could do this. What drives me is making a difference. For me personally, my values are about creating change. It's in my bio. I want to create fundamental change in the people ops realm. For me, that's what drives me to do anything, whether it's an unpaid speaking engagement all the way to you know hosting something at a, a big workshop at an event. I'm flying to Vegas to speak at a conference later this year. Those are all driven by my mission of creating fundamental change. And if somebody comes to me and says, hey, can you talk to my Girl Scout troop about it? I'm going to say yes, because it aligns with what I do. The people I surround myself with, you know, whether it's my personal consulting, whether it's my professional side hustle with the Rise Journey, or what I do as the head of organizational development at Quartet, all comes from the same personal values that I have. My business, co my business uh, partner and I for the Rise Journey, we met taking a class on diversity and inclusion in the workplace, and we couldn't stop talking to each other because our values aligned. We didn't know what we were going to do. We didn't know how we were going to do it. And it created this thing that we didn't even know we were setting out to create because our values aligned, because the vision of what we want to see for the future aligned. And that's what gets you off the ground. Money, yes, you need money to pay your bills. You need to be financially stable. You need to be able to feed yourself and the people around you that you need to take care of, of course. But that is not a driver. That is a sustain personal sustainability factor. I see. Um, majority of founders that I know um, have a remote team. So when we mm -hmm. talk about like remote or versus someone, you know, uh, in an office, then majority of them have a remote team. And uh, there are so many benefits to hiring remote team mm -hmm. versus someone having, you know, working full time at an office for you. And to the founders who ask whether um, I'd rather uh, bring on a co-founder versus someone who can just work for me part-time, full-time, but at least, you know, someone who I basically paid to do mm -hmm. this. I would really say that start with hiring someone, uh, be it uh, full-time, part-time, but um, I really like using Upwork. This is where I've, I've yep. probably hired more than 100 people on Upwork. And I think that you have so such a little... Um, problem there's there's so uh, few things that can go wrong with hiring on upwork versus just diving into hiring someone full-time or getting a co-founder i think this is much more complicated so what are some pitfalls to watch out for when hiring or working with um, a remote team yeah, i think nail on the head there's a lot of accountability if you hire somebody whether full-time less so with part-time but very much with full-time and, and a co-founder it's the same thing as any relationship. There's an accountability there saying, here's what I'm able to give and here's what you're able to give back. What kind of relationship are you having? So you need to be careful because there's a lot of things. There's also a lot of legal implications when you hire somebody that if you're, if you're not in HR and even if you are in HR, different state laws, different country laws. So like the legal thing is always number one. Can I afford to hire this person? Can I comply with the state laws? Can I imply with healthcare laws? Can I imply with labor laws if they're you know, is it an intern versus a C-suite person? All of those things. Um, equity. If you're talking about equity, that means you have to have lawyers involved. You need to make sure contracts are signed. You need to make sure that you have all of those documentation in place. And depending on the stage you're at, 
proving concept, figuring out if something is going to sell and make money, rolling out a revenue model, all of these things, there's a lot of things that can be done through contractors and using Upwork and there's a lot of other resources similar to get off the ground. Um, the worst thing would be to hire somebody and then have to let them go because you can't pay them two months later. And then you've lost accountability. That, that hurts the soul to have to do something like that. So again, starting with the outcome, what are you looking, and founders fall into this all the time. They say, oh, I want to hire a team because I need to get stuff done and it's really important. The reality is they needed some documents created. So thinking about what is the outcome of this? What, what am I trying to get out of this? You know, if you're saying I want to hire somebody because I want to have somebody to go in the office every day and hold myself accountable, whether it's in a co-working space or in my own personal house, whatever, you know, so that person's going to help me hold the account, myself accountable and I'm going to help them hold themselves accountable. Great. That is the outcome you're looking for. You're not looking for a specific work outcome. But even that, you might hire them as a contractor and just say, hey, I'd love to work out of the co-working space two days a week. So knowing what your goal, your goal is, and then again, and it might sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but you know, work backwards from what you're looking to get. Um, because it's very easy to get excited about hiring people and starting a company and growth and everybody talks about unicorns and all of these things. But ultimately it could be very costly. It could involve a lot of legal implications. Payroll is a pain in the ass. Anybody who's ever had to pay anybody hates it, you know. And so dealing with these things is complicated and you have to be ready to dive in with those with just as much zeal and effort as you would to the actual business. And that's where founders often get stuck as they're like, well, I don't need to do this. I'm just going to outsource this to somebody and they're going to figure out payroll or whatever. And that's where a lot of issues arise because then all of a sudden you've ignored all of this problem area and it's growing and growing when you could have just, you know, hired a contractor and, and sent them the right tax forms at the end of the year. And figure out that, you know, you just need a small little task uh, completed and actually you don't even have guidelines set up how you, what, how you want them to complete it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have a whole new world open in front of you that um, you didn't know before. Um, what is a high performing team? And what is the difference between a team that is performing versus a team that's not performing? High-performing team, in my opinion, is a group of people who not only get their work done, to say check, they do their work, they, they are invested. They want to know the outcomes. They want to further it along. It's not about checking your email on weekends, but it's about saying, okay, you know, I need to do this because I need to check in because I'm invested in this piece of things that's happening. I want to know the outcomes. I want to make sure it works because this is a part of who I am and what I'm doing. You know, people talk about you know, work-life balance or work-life integration. And we're in a world and a society where people are going to potentially be on 24-7 or say, you know, I'm offline or whatever, but they're still there. They're still invested. They're thinking about it in their off time. They're saying, okay, I'm going to go in on Monday. And I've sent myself four emails to remind myself of things because I was thinking about it this whole time. It's just in the back of my brain. And they're going in and they're invested. And I think that's the biggest thing about high-performing teams is they're invested and they're creating outcomes. A team that's performing, they're checking things off. To-do list, done. To-do list, done. To-do list, done. But are they actually saying, oh, well, you know, I didn't think about it from that perspective. Or they're having a conversation when they're on their off time and they're like, wow, I didn't think of that perspective when I built this thing. I need to go back. And they're willing to go back and take new risks and bring in new perspectives to further something along. And it changes and grows. A high-performing team that's two people is going to be a very different high-performing team than when it's five people in terms of output. But what they, how they want to be there and how they want to do this and how invested they are, it, that doesn't change. And, it's, and outputs change, but you know, it's that quality that really determines the high-performing team or not. 
Have you read uh, the E-Myth e Revisited by Michael Gerber? No. I highly recommend to anyone okay. this book. So the three distinct roles that uh, Michael Gerber says that are functioning within any business, the first one is leader, then a manager, and then the doer. So, and if um, you are the one person show in your company, then you need to be, you need to be wearing all three of those hats to be in the leader, being the manager and the doer. And if you're just, you know, a software engineer, you're just doing, that's not good enough. You know, you still yep. need to manage yourself and then you need to lead your product, your company. Yep. Right. And, um, I find that leaders, uh, software engineers may not have experience being a manager and a leader. Mm -hmm. And this really comes just from working with someone, like managing someone, leading the company. So um, a lot of startups um, who start up with just the first, if, if the founder is just, this is their first startup, they may not be as experienced in this. And so I find that having those the things that we talked about in place, like having the mission and the vision and know what you're working towards and sharing that with your team is so important. And I think that the companies, founders do not implement this early enough. Yes, 100%. This should be one of the first things you do. And mission and vision and values can grow and change. These are not stagnant things. These help give you direction. When you're, and especially if you're not a manager, especially if you tend to be more of a doer, having these guidelines, it's like, if you're bowling, having, having those buffer those bumpers and being able to say okay well i'm heading over here oh nope the values are going to send me back oh the mission's going to send me back this way and just giving yourself some guidance who doesn't want to have those safety nets especially if you're investing a lot of yourself or your resources or money um so by starting out with that and just doing it can be really basic it's a one sentence one sentence and maybe three values really sets you up for success later on and it, it's, a, it's a growth piece um and kind of jumping back to what you said about the the managers, the leader and the or the leader, the manager and the doer. If you recognize in yourself, you can have enough self awareness to say, you know what, I'm a really great manager, but I'm not a leader. I don't have that transformational piece about me that can really set something set off light on something on fire or people on fire and get them excited. That might be your first hire. If you can have the the insight to say, wow, that's who I need to bring into this org, so I can do these other pieces recognizing that is really important and that can be the difference between the time it takes to get success or not you know if you're a software engineer and you need a salesperson hire a salesperson do not sell the thing yourself be part of the person be part of the team that creates the sales materials make sure the salesperson knows the right language make sure they're selling it correctly i'm not a salesperson i can talk for days on end but i'm not a salesperson so if i were ever going to try to sell something i'm immediately going to hire a biz dev person because that's not my area. And that's okay because that biz dev person is going to 10x what I could do. You know, in one week, they're going to 10x what I can do in a month. And that's what I want. I want sales. So I'm going to hire the right person. So having those insights, it kind of goes back to those blind spots of knowing if you're that doer, if you're that manager, if you're that leader, if you're somewhere in between, how do you get that next stage? Do you even want to get to the next stage? There are plenty of founders who all they want to do, and sticking with the software analogy, all they want to do is code. That is their love. That is their passion. Hell yeah, more power to you. But don't pretend to be the manager and don't pretend to be the leader. Get those people in place once you're ready for them. And that's with the mission and the vision because they're going to be able to take that and run with it. And that's still your baby. This is still your piece. You're still a part of it. And you can be a doer and still be on the C-suite. But 
it's really important for everybody else in your org. It's really important for that culture you're going to create that you have those correct people in place. And it does start with that mission, vision, and values. And that's going to evolve as you bring more people on board. But have that self-awareness to say, you know what, that's just not me. And that's okay. And say that to yourself. If you have to use affirmations, that's totally fine. But it is going to be so key to know where your weak spots are or your growth areas, if you want to look at it in a slightly more positive view. And hire people who are smarter than you, hire people that are better than you in those specific arenas, hire people who you can learn from, you can have real conversations with, hire people who are, you can say, man, I really don't know. That freaks me out. I should know this and I don't know. And hire people who are going to say, you know what? I don't know this thing over here. Let's not know together <laughs> and go out and learn it. And you know, those people you find through your mission and your vision and your values. Majority of founders that I talk to, I find that they are such bad managers. They are the doers. Like we're not even talk about like leadership role. They just don't know how to uh, manage the team on the day-to-day basis. They don't know how to run the meetings. It is so interesting to see about the um, startup dynamics and see what's happening within the startup. And they're just uh, small tweaks that can really make such a big change within the operational, uh, you know, the what's happening within the company, just with just some small things, improvements from the management standpoint. What are some low hanging yeah. fruits that you've noticed working with the founders? If, yeah, bad man, people leave because of bad managers. People don't, people want to learn and grow. And you, if you're a bad manager and you don't know it, if people are leaving you, you're probably a bad manager. Now, what like, about if they started the company, they, maybe it's their first or second hire. It's not like they've tried 10 people and they know, yeah, people leaving me. How do I know if I'm a bad manager? Yeah. If I'm just starting out, if this is my first, second or third hire? Create a culture. And when you hire people that can give you real feedback and say, this is my first venture. I'm really excited. I'm really scared. And I don't know if I'm good at certain things. So as we go along, please give me feedback. If there's a way I can be managing better, if there's a way I can be doing something better, create a culture where right away you say, I want feedback. And I plan on giving you feedback. That's part of, you know, that's part of what you're doing. Um, I would suggest to anybody, take a coaching course. There are informal ones. There are cheap ones. There are expensive ones. Take a coaching course. Learn how to take an improv class. There's a great power improv. The basic line of improv is yes and. So you're in a meeting with somebody and they say, oh, this, and you're like, oh my God, that's a terrible idea. Say, okay, how can I build off of this? How can I use this? And say, yes, and how about if when we do that, we add a survey to it so we can make sure that it's doing okay, or we can benchmark what's happening. There's some really basic level things. And there's, again, a ton of meetups. There's a ton of cheap classes, free classes, resources online, Udemy, Coursera. All of these places are going to have basic management 101. Learn read, find a tip. If something works for somebody, try it out. Maybe it works for you. Maybe it doesn't. If it doesn't, give it a month, try something new. Work with your team. Say, hey team, I want to try out this new meeting style. Let's see if it works. I want to try out radical candor. Let's see if it works. I want to try out complimenting the beginning, everybody at the beginning of the day. Let's see how it works. Try things, be transparent, ask for feedback. Those are the only things that are going to allow you to evolve as a group, as an individual, as a company. Completely agree, but it's so hard for founders to admit that they don't know something or they may not be good at something. It may be very hard for everyone, but I find that specifically for software engineers, because they are really smart people, right? But it's just, 
admitting this, that they are not good at something is so hard for them. So that's okay to say that you may not be good at this. Help me learn this because I don't have prior experience with that. So it's really okay. Well, we need to start talking about intelligence in multiple fashions. And we already have EQ, emotional intelligence, and IQ, intellectual intelligence. But we also need to start talking about AQ, adversity quotient, and how facing adversity and having tough times also builds this resilience that allows founders to go on. So a software engineer traditionally has a lot of IQ in the, again, stereotypical way they have less EQ. So again, having the self-awareness of that is key. And then having the adversity, knowing that's why, you know, some of the most successful founders have failed a number of times. We don't talk enough about how many things fail and how we talk about failure. Failure is just a learning experience, but it's really tough because it's a hit to our ego and it all comes back to pride and ego. And if you're able to say, man, this really hurts my soul to say, but I'm not good at this. Every time you say something like that, it gets easier. Hmm. Every time you fall on your face and you talk about it, it gets easier. It still hurts. It's still going to hurt. If you fall on the ground, it's always going to hurt. But the more you can say, oh, man, I, you know, I learned how to tie my shoelaces and I didn't double knot it. Next time I'm going to double knot it. And you're going to not trip the next time. So you always are going to be able to learn something, but you, it, that ego gets in the way. But the more you can say, how do I get better and what am I not good at? You know, find the most honest person in your life when you're starting out and say, tell me where I need to grow. Not what I'm bad at, not where, you know, where I'm strong at, but where should I grow? What can I, what can I improve in? Where should I take my, if I'm going to take an online course or do some self-learning, what's the first thing I should do? Ask the people you trust. So let's say that, what about creating a job summary? How do we go about creating a description for the job? And why do we need the description? Can I, can I just say, hey, I'm looking for a marketing person, which majority of founders do exactly that, right? They don't set up the goals. They don't think about what are some specific um, roles and responsibilities would this person going to uh, have. Yep. So a job description or setting up a job outline you said it, it's about goals. Whether you're hiring a contractor or an intern or co-founder, having very explicit setup of a role is important. So if you hire somebody and say, I need somebody who does marketing. Well, okay, do you need somebody to print flyers and hang them to lampposts? Do you need somebody to do digital marketing? Do you need somebody to sell something? Do you need a copywriter? Do you need an intern or a CMO? And you have to say, oh shit, like, okay, well, I don't know enough about marketing. Great, meet with five people you know in marketing and say, can I pick your brain for an hour over coffee and figure out what I need in marketing? Because if somebody, if I went to you and said, oh, I need a software engineer, you're going to give me the exact same spiel. Well, what kind of software engineer? What languages? What frameworks? What kind of thing? Do you need a database? Do you need to sell something? Da, 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 da. It's the same for every industry. So by saying, by talking to people who know the industry that you're in and what you might need, then you can say, okay, I need a digital marketer and a UX copywriter. I need somebody who can translate my tech speak into something that a salesperson can understand because I have a salesperson on the team. So I need somebody who sits in between and then can update our website with a copy and can translate from my tech to something that a salesperson and a customer might want to read. Saying that is very different than saying, I need somebody to help with marketing. So being explicit allows your success because if you cannot be explicit, you will not have success or you'll have a success that 0.01% of the time rather than the 99.9% of the time. What I found really useful when hiring, uh, when making a hire is to use that person to complete a smaller task before hiring like full time or do even a long term commitment. Hire for like a short term 
a project or consultancy base and see see if you're a good match see if that's exactly what they what you're expected out of them because so many times people talk so much about their experience that they are yes they're good at this or at that um honestly sometimes people lie i had experience interviewing a marketing person for a client of mine um and i have marketing uh, background so i specifically started asking some technical questions um the founder asked this marketing person so have you do you have experience working with google analytics of course i had but then they did not have knowledge digging a little bit deeper and asking so uh how do you do this in google analytics and any person who just had even tiny little experience in google analytics would be able able to answer this question and when that person is not able to answer that question you know that you know that person is just talking more than they actually can do right Do you have any recommendation how people, how founders can learn what questions to ask? Because there are so many roles that the founder is not knowledgeable about. So how do we ask those questions? What are some questions that we can ask those people we're about to hire to, to confirm that, yes, they are, they know what they're talking about? Yeah. So assuming you've done the legwork of creating the job description, or at least creating some things you'd like them to do, accomplishments, specific projects, this is where you might want to involve friends, coworkers, former people you've worked with and say, hey, you've worked in marketing. Can you help me interview this person? What, what are some things you would expect somebody to ask of you? You know, go to people you trust and who you know are good and ask for their expectations. If they were interviewing for a job, what would they want to be asked? Because it's ultimately, it's again, it's a symbiotic relationship. And I think what you said of starting out with a small project, really important because you're both testing each other out. The consultant or the contractor might say, oh my God, I hate this person as a boss. I never want to work for them again. And you might say, oh, they're amazing. I want them forever. So it's, it goes both ways. Um, and if you can find somebody really good or if you can grow with them and learn with them, you know, that's the jackpot. There's a lot of people out there who aren't going to be a great fit. And that's where that interviewing piece comes in. And I would say, know what you want. You know, if you're going to say, okay, I want somebody to write all the copy for my website. I have all of this language and I need them to take this document full of ideas and turn it into a five page website. Being able to go in and say, how, give me an example of how you've done this. This is the exact job I need done. What have you done that's like this before? Tell me about your process. Tell me, walk me through the thing. Um, asking anybody about their process, I can go through whatever process, anything I do in life, I can tell you about how I'm thinking about it. From the beginning, I have the idea of like, oh, all the way through completion and then how I'm going to make it better. So having somebody walk you through the process of something, you know, that person who you're talking about with Google analytics, they were never going to be able to walk you through the process. You know, even if they pull up, okay, how do I use Google analytics on Google? You know, it still wouldn't be explicit enough. You want to be able to dig in and say, okay, well tell me like how you got to that. Where did you get that thinking about it? And they might say, you know what? I just Google it. And you're like, okay, is that acceptable for me? Maybe that lowers my hourly rate another $20 down because they're still figuring it out, but I'm okay with that if I'm paying them less knowing where, not only what you need them to get done, but knowing where you're willing to compromise. If you get an expert and they need $200 an hour, but they're going to get it done in two hours, or are you willing to hire a more junior person who can get it done in 20 hours, but you're only paying them $10 an hour? Ultimately, you're still going to be paying them $200 no matter who you hire, but which way are you willing to go? Maybe you actually get more out of the junior person because they're able to do kind of offshoot tasks versus the expert is going to get it done. So you have to be specific in knowing what you need in order to get what you get and get it done right. Otherwise, you're just going to be paying money to a bunch of people who have no idea what's going on and you're going to get potentially, you open yourself up to legal lawsuits. 
when you think about a contract, people need an explicit project outline or goal of what they're achieving in order to get paid. If you're working with this person long term, they're going to be deliverables on certain dates. So being explicit about all that is key. And again, if you do not know, find somebody in your life who does know, who has done it, who you can talk to and say, can you walk me through this process? Can I pay you to interview this person for me? You know what you're talking about. I don't. Can I pay you 50 bucks or buy you dinner or coffee or babysit your children or your dog or whatever? Barter. If you don't have money, barter with somebody and get the expert to help you. Don't be the expert if you're not. Um, tell me, what are some other things that uh, founders need to have in place even before actually making the hire? We talked about the vision, the mission. Is there anything else? I would say know where you're going. And again, that can change. Like have a little bit of a roadmap of saying, you know, here are the next six months. I want to, I have this product. I'm a, de I'm a developer. I, I've coded this thing. You know, in the next three months, I want to get my website up and running and I want to get a biz dev person starting to scout for leads. I want to be able to create, at month three, I want to be able to create something that they can send out and start seeing engaging people. I want to beta test by month six and by year one, I want to make my first $10,000 for the company. Having that outline to me is like, okay, great. I can get on board with that. I see the vision. I know where I'm headed. I know what my copywriting is going to do or whatever it is. And then at, maybe at month six, you're like, you know what? We're not going to be ready at one year. We're going to be a year and a half. Reassess, have that conversation again. You know, maybe you need to hire different people. Maybe you realize you're making something for cats and really it's better suited for dogs. And all of a sudden you're like, great. I now have this new market. This person I hired for copywriting is no longer relevant. I need to hire somebody who caters more toward dogs than cats. So by having that roadmap, even if it's not concrete, it doesn't have to be concrete. Everything's going to change and pivot as a founder. You have to be open with that. By, by laying it out, whether you like things physically on a calendar, maybe you like your Google calendar, maybe you just like to have it in a notebook somewhere, but the people who you work with or might work with want to know these things. A customer is going to say, well, what do you, where do you plan on being in a year? Are you going to make 15 million? Or are you going to make $15? You know, having some sense of that, you don't have to make 15 million to be successful. Maybe $15 is a huge mark of success based on where you're coming from. So setting up that allows people to set expectations correctly. And that's why you need that specificity when hiring somebody is all about expectations. Because if you're going to build a grand vision for somebody and there's no substance, you better have a roadmap on how to get to that grand vision. Otherwise, it's useless. I really like the idea of the roadmap because so many times when we already have, when the founders already have a new person who is starting or working on a specific task, they may assign just one specific task. And this person may not know where does this small task fit into the macro level of the vision where we're actually going. But when that person would know, okay, this piece fits here and this is the actual big picture of where we're planning to go. I think it may be just so much easier for the person to make those micro decisions that the person may not even ask the founder, right? Do I choose this software or that software? But when the person knows that, okay, our goal is this and according to this goal, this software is going to work better. So just making those small decisions is going to be so much easier. And anytime an employee or somebody who isn't you and even yourself knows the impact of that work, what is the impact of writing the copy for the website? Well, it's going to help the salesperson sell things. What is the impact of reaching out to 100 customers? Well, you know, funnel metrics, you're going to reach one sale. What is one sale? That could be your first $15 million. So knowing the impact of the work that others are doing and how it comes together to build, that's part of building a high-performing team. They want to know how their input goes to the bottom line and how it's going to propel success. So if you can always tie things back to that roadmap, 
tie things back to the impact, tie things back to allowing somebody to feel successful in their role. Whether it's a contractor, an intern, a full-time, a co-founder, they need to know that impact because the impact is going to show success. Even if it's just, I learned a new software, or I tried something new, or I made a $15 million sale. Whatever it is, knowing that impact is the biggest part for motivating an employee and delegating and being a good manager. Can you share your ideas about onboarding? I find that so many founders, all right, okay, so they make a hire, they have a task, and then you go do the task without properly onboarding the person. So what is the part of, what is, what needs to be included in the onboarding? Yeah, so that's also, you know, all of this is variable because if it's your first hire or your fifth hire or your 500th hire, it changes. Ultimately, the fact that you have an onboarding and you can sit down with that person on day one, whether they're a contractor, an intern, whatever, doesn't matter. Make it so they can see where things are headed. And the onboarding might be a day, but have a 30-day check-in and then have a 60-day check-in and then have a 120-day check-in. Make sure that they feel that they're actually with you. It's the same if you're hired and you jump into a company, you're like, okay, well, you know, coding from day one, but now what? What else is there? What else is going on? You know, if you meet somebody on the first day and say, okay, we're going to update your computer. We're going to get you set up. We're going to get you so you're work ready. Tomorrow, I'm going to have you come to lunch with me and meet some of our investors. And then on Friday, we're going to go out and we're going to talk about what, what you feel like you're missing. You know, it may not need to be formal. It just may be like explicit conversations, time set aside for conversations, making sure that somebody knows all the tools, somebody knows the outcomes, somebody knows the input, somebody knows what impact they're having. Somebody, you know, if you have a roadmap, share the roadmap. If you don't say, will you be a part of developing this roadmap? You know, and that's part of having the humility and being honest about our onboarding is just coming in and sitting down and sitting next to me and having conversations and we have check-ins. That, that could be onboarding. It could be really basic. It could be really simple. It could be super elaborate. But it grows and builds as you grow and build and as your organization grows and builds. But somebody wants to know where they are and why they're there. And if you can't do those basic things and onboard them with your mission, vision, and values and your roadmap and what their impact is going to be, they're not going to stay long. That's just a fact. What I find is many founders may not have enough time to properly onboard people. I'm doing like a job of 10 people. I don't have time to, you know, speak or have lunch with that particular new person. So what I find uh, works really well is think about hiring the person well in in advance when you need that person so that you can take those little steps, creating those um, documents or instructions or SOPs So, for example, when you're doing a task that you hope that one day someone else is going to be doing, it's not going to take you any extra time than maybe five seconds clicking on the record button and explaining what exactly, how do you actually accomplish this task, right? So that later, when a new person comes in, you don't need to actually, you know, sit next to that person and teach that person. But actually, you just, all that you do is you send this recording and you say, okay, and then after you watch this video, let's talk about your questions or where you, where it may not be clear. I find it so much easier when you have those things prepared and you have them structured. For example, day one, this is what I expect the person to do. And then boom, for every task, you have a quick outline of the video, how you've been doing this in the past. But it's also very important to probably have that person tell that person that, hey, I may, I'm doing it this way, but you may be doing it better way, another way. So don't be you know, shy to actually tell me that your, your way is a better way. I'm happy to hop on again if you want to do more conversation, though, if that's helpful. Sounds good. Thank you so much for your time. It's been my awesome. pleasure talking to you.